Welcome to Disruptors, the podcast for bright sparks fueled by great ideas that have changed the world. In each episode, we chat with some of the most innovative disruptors from our community at the King's Entrepreneurship Institute. We discover how they've used their entrepreneurial skills to develop their ideas for their business ventures, tested those ideas, and compelled others to do the same. Hi everyone, welcome back to Disruptors. My name is Rachel Stuckey. I'm Head of Entrepreneurial Skills at the Entrepreneurship Institute at King's College London. The Entrepreneurship Institute is King's dedicated hub to innovation and entrepreneurship. And today I am joined by Rory McMeekin, who is the CTO and co-founder of Verdon. Welcome, Rory. Thanks very much for having me on the podcast, Rachel. All right, very excited for you to be here. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, just taking a nice break in the middle of the day, which is always, always welcome. Are you working from home? Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, I work, there's two of us in, in Verdon. It's myself and Chris. We both live together as well. So uh, Intense entrepreneurship bubble you've got going. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's, it's great. It's great to be so close to each other, but then obviously it's always nice just to have a little break every now and again. So this is a nice little break from each <laughs> other. So do you want to give our lovely listeners a quick intro to you, your background, and a bit about what Verdon is? Yeah, sure. So I am, like you said, the CTO of Verdim. So I do all the the tech side of things basically in the company. I wasn't always a, didn't identify as like a technical person because I studied business with Chris, who I'm still living and working with now 10 years ago. So I started out doing business and then made some like iPhone apps when I was, when I was at uni and then got into web development. And that's kind of what I've been using a lot more now. So over the past 10 years or so, I've been developing all kinds of different apps and websites. And it's led us to Verdon, where I'm basically creating a service with Chris. So Verdon is essentially a, a service that any e-commerce store can use to make any of their products sustainable or basically give back to the environment or give back to some societal cause within within minutes. So you can have a t-shirt that, that you want to have planting trees and you can set it up to start planting a tree straight away with five minutes using Verdon. That's pretty cool. And I imagine something that's going to be a lot of demand for starting now and probably expanding in future, which is a good market for you to be in, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, obviously COVID has impacted a lot of businesses in the past year. And I think we got quite lucky in the sense that we picked a vertical or, or a sector that was largely unaffected in the sense that, you know, e-commerce is still booming at the moment and it's still growing. So we got quite lucky with that. And also, like you say, you know, sustainability offsetting giving back to charity, those kind of things that all aligns with the way that the current consumer trends are going as well. So where did the, where did the original idea for Verdon come from then? Where, what made you think about this? That's a good question. And we get that quite a lot, actually. And it's, and it's a slightly interesting story. So 2018, I think it was. So I guess three years ago now, me and Chris have always worked together uh, that I touched upon. And we were trying to come up with a new idea that would sort of get us excited to, to try to basically create a new new business out of basically a side project because we were working on, on something else at the time. Also at the time, there's a lot of greenwashing going on. There are a lot of companies that started to realize that they could tap into conscious consumerism and sort of market their products as being green. But a lot of these companies were sort of say, for example, once you dug into their policy on, on how they're actually giving back. So say if you bought a t-shirt from somewhere and it said it was gonna like give back to the, save the rainforest, for example you dig into their terms and it say, well, actually we only give 1% of our net profits to the rainforest, whatever charity. And Chris is very much an environmental 
person and he got quite annoyed by that and he thought well what if, what if you could do something really extreme almost and basically just blow all these other ideas out the water and one of the things that he came up with was pick a product that was really high margin so we thought sunglasses because i don't know how many people know this but sunglasses are like one of the most high margin consumer fashion goods across the industry essentially chris had the idea of picking up ocean plastic because that was starting to become popular at the time so we had an idea to why don't we try and make our own pair of sunglasses that would pick up 80 kilos of ocean plastic when you when you buy them which is like unparalleled amount of ocean plastic and there was a lot of margin there to be able to do that so it would actually work as, as a product and as a business so we came up with some ideas about how we do that we ended up working with Brunel University and a student there to sort of prototype a pair of sunglasses and we found a charity partner in Norway called Empower who we're working with now and we got to the point where we basically had to devote a lot of effort and resources into figuring out how to get these sunglasses to production one of the ideas was to run a kickstarter campaign and it's something that we didn't end up launching and we really do still want to like basically run this kickstarter for the sunglasses because we've got a prototype ready essentially but while we were making these sunglasses it got to the point where we we're thinking well if we've managed to sort of connect all the dots here and this is something that that i didn't mention that we were talking to a lot of people at the time about buying these glasses and they're all really excited by the fact it's going to do all this impact way better than all the other companies that were greenwashing at the time so we thought why don't we try and turn what we've made, which is this sort of, it was a website sort of, there was a, we had a draft about telling people about how much impact they were doing, all the rest of it. And we could turn that into a service that anyone could use that has alignments with offsetting or the environment and maybe throw in like tree planting, which we've done now and sort of turn it into this big, really easy to use one-stop shop that anyone can sort of tap into and start adding to their products. I think that's a really cool idea. And I love that glasses idea as well, but like I am, on my journey of conscious consumerism, I would say, like, I think over the last couple of years, it's like many people is starting to come become something that's more front of mind and more part of a decision making process when you're going to buy a product or a service that greenwashing is in itself now a term that I know and understand that I think it's so much people are asking the right questions now, like you can't just call yourself sustainable. What does that what does that mean? What's no, behind that word? Yeah, definitely. And we were noticing a lot of people on Instagram, for example, you get these Instagram ads where people are advertising how they're going to save some marine life, for example, with, with uh, whatever they're selling, like jewelry or again, like apparel. But then a lot of the comments were starting to question, well, you know, how do I know that you're actually doing this impact? And the other part of Verdon, which I haven't mentioned, is that we give the companies the ability to attach this impact to their products but the the other side of the coin what we also offer is we we automatically handle the traceability of the impact for for their end customers so we've created this whole dashboard platform essentially and we hook into updates from our providers that plant trees and recover ocean plastic and there's more impact coming more impact types coming in the future and if you buy a t-shirt again from one of our merchants that we work with you won't just get to see that you're doing impact. You'll also get an email from that merchant that we control and send out on behalf of them, make it really easy for them. And then essentially you'll get access to this dashboard where you can see, okay, well, my plastic was part of this batch that got picked up off the coast of Africa or, or in India, for example. And this is, this is the team that picked it up and we show you photos about how it's all done. So it's also marrying those two, you know, making it easy. But then like you're saying as well, dealing with the greenwashing aspect. So that was a big thing for us as well to make sure that we had that covered and we could provide that traceability. 
to people. I think I think it's a good movement as well because I think a lot of people when they think about sustainability just think about the the climate action part of it as opposed to your values and your ethics and your transparency as a company and the whole life cycle of your product and and everything that kind of comes along with that and we're I think as as an entrepreneurship institute as well we're really trying to champion on behalf of the companies that come through our programs how do they embed a mindset of sustainability in all aspects of their company so I think Verdon really kind of is a good case study and anchor point for us of like these are the things the standards that you should and can quite easily hold yourself to now it's no longer an excuse to say sustainability is too expensive or too hard there are ways to build it in in a profitable and ethically driven way they're not too too opposites if you like yeah totally and it's very flattering for you to say that people should sort of look up to us as a sustainable example but to be honest we're making it really easy because we're not going through the whole this was another thing that was really sort of motivated us to build Verdum was a lot of the options out there right now for companies that want to be sustainable are you know they can go through a whole offsetting analysis process with a company which will try to dig into their supply chain you know like how long they leave the lights on for in their office and that kind of thing and, and they'll sort of go by all these metrics which takes a huge amount of time and money sort of then get this score and then start offsetting what your actual estimated footprint is but what we thought was instead of trying to like dig into the details and calculate everything why don't we just do something that's obviously far and beyond what one piece of clothing is going to do which is like plant a whole tree or plant five trees or ten trees and just deal with it that way so we've kind of taken the the easy route in that sense in, in, in that we haven't sort of loaded it all with red tape which is what currently exists out there how did you go about the kind of early gaining of traction and validating your business idea? What was that journey like for you? Yeah, so um, we we officially started the company around this time last year and started working on on an idea. We didn't really know what we were doing. I was I was sort of enamored by the developer tools that exist for some of the really like great e-commerce service firms out there like Stripe, for example, if you want to add payments to your website, you use Stripe and they have amazing developer documentation. As a developer, it just makes it so easy to integrate Stripe payments onto a website. And I thought, well, how cool would it be to, to provide an, an API that sort of developers of merchants' websites can start using? But what we realized was we're not going to be approaching companies that have teams of developers yet because we're just two guys sitting in our apartment somewhere trying to figure out what to do. So I mean, in the beginning, we had to start looking at trying to get introductions to smaller stores that we that people might know for us, and they don't have their own development teams. And we thought, okay, let's do WordPress because that's we, we know like we've worked with all the WordPress websites. That's what people want to do. And, and I started looking at WordPress plugins. And the more people that we spoke to, we realized that people were using Shopify, like above and beyond anything else. And that's just only grown in the past year. And we got quite lucky in the sense that. Once we decided around this time last year, okay, well, let's try and make a Shopify app and try and find some Shopify stores because Shopify has got an app store, a bit like the, the iPhone app store. If you've, if you've got a store on Shopify, you can go on the Shopify app store and just find an app to do something. We thought, well, why don't we make a Verdun app on the Shopify app store? And we, as I was starting to develop it, there was a, a banner on the Shopify app store page basically saying, if you're developing an app that can help with COVID or help merchants bounce back, because this was this was this time last year, uh, we're doing like a an app challenge for new apps. So we 
actually ended up making our first proper prototype of the app for this for the for the Shopify app challenge. And we submitted it and we ended up getting second place in that, which was a big boost for us because it gave us access to some team members at Shopify that could help us figure out how to market the app. So we actually launched with a lot more support than we would have done. And that really helps. But we didn't launch until September of that year. So we were working together in the same company full-time. Chris was basically figuring out how do I get in touch with stores doing the lean startup approach and doing a lot of cold outreach and getting people on board and just getting people ready for our launch. And we had a few, a couple, a couple of customers, a few customers ready for when we basically launched the app. And that's what gave us the initial traction. And we also worked with a couple of other people before we launched the Shopify app that weren't using Shopify doing. And I think this is a really important point as well as if, because if, if you're sort of building a product like we were for Shopify, but you've got other potential customers that aren't using Shopify, we found a way to sort of do something very manual and hacky still work for them just to sort of validate the idea and that's that's what we did in the very beginning which to maybe answer your question more directly to get some really initial validation and traction was we sort of did everything manually and just like almost pen and paper figured out how much impact someone was doing on a, on a store and we did that for a couple of stores yeah we call it like a concierge mvp like, exactly um, right yeah you, you do it manually as if the process was automated but you showed them the value that it would have and you, you kind of rep, you take them from A to B as if the service was in place just to see, see if the process works. And I think knowing that you guys did that ahead of developing, a full, having a t- full tech version ready, ready to roll, I think is important because I think we often come across people that they, they, the first thing they say to us is, well, I'm going to build an app. <laughs> and, we, and we kind of say, well, slow down. <laughs> what problem are you trying to solve? How could you go about solving that and, and checking whether this is a problem that people would pay to have solved? before you spend time and money developing something like that. Definitely. I think, I think for you, the, the bit where sometimes people go on a slightly different journey is if they have the tech skills in-house because they're like, well, I can build something so I can just crack on and, and start doing that. How did you make sure that you had enough validation that you were going in the right direction before you started building? Yeah, I, I think that's a great point because I've fallen into the trap so many times of just having an idea and like trying to hash something out and then abandoning it because I sort of lose motivation after a couple of weeks working on this, whatever side projects, you know, the sort of tens of them in my folder on my computer. I think with the Shopify app, it's it's kind of important to note that it's not like a fully fledged app in the sense that it's this it's its own thing. It's basically a website that lives inside a Shopify store. So we were able to throw a prototype together quite quickly and the problem is, though, with something like that, you do that initial validation that we did with those, those other two stores where it was very like hacky and we got something together that they, that, they, that they paid for, essentially. That was great. But then when you want to actually make something like a Shopify app, you do have to commit to it and you've just got to see it through and then see if you can get something out there. But the app challenge helps a lot with that because that gave us some motivation to build something because we knew we had like a month, which was great. It added a time limit, how much time we could spend on it. And there was also a reward at the end that we could potentially use. Um, so that, so that, that's essentially what sort of took us down that path with Shopify. So at what point did you decide, actually, we want to think about accelerators and specifically the Kings 20? What part in your decision-making did that come into? Yeah, so, I mean, we've always thought about accelerators. I um, If there's anyone techie listening, they might know about a website called Hacker News. And if you're not a programmer, uh, sorry, if you are a programmer or you're interested in startups or whatever, it's definitely a website I'd recommend checking out. It's like Reddit, but for more like formal startup programming discussion. 
that's run by Y Combinator. And YC is a, is an accelerator we always wanted to apply for. So we've and they they do biannual, so twice yearly they do applications and they run a program twice every year. So we've we've applied to that a few times. Haven't managed to get an interview yet. But we were looking at other accelerators as well. And yeah, I mean it was it was definitely something that, that we knew we like we knew we wanted to get out there and start looking for accelerators. And the King's 20 was something that we knew about from before because we, we actually applied the year before as well with those sunglasses that I mentioned at the beginning before the idea had developed and we didn't get in with that idea obviously because we're in this cohort (laughs) now but it's just I think we had the realization that whatever we were going to build we're going to need support some way or another Um, so we need to just be proactive all the time and we still are being proactive and always looking for those kind of accelerator or funding opportunities because it's really important especially when it's just the two of us because we'd love to bring another developer on board for example we'd love to be in a position where we can get feedback from and access to mentors and that kind of thing and be able to pitch to investors like what the king's 20 affords us so yeah just sort of all the time we're looking for these kind of opportunities really what stood out to you about the king's 20 i think one of the main things was that it came up on our radar was because we obviously our alumni it found its way to us on on our radar we we met a couple of people who had been through the King's 20 as well, the previous cohort um, at a networking event, which was, I mean, who knows what a networking event is anymore, but, <laughs> but we, we met a couple of people there. So it's great to talk to them about their experiences and that sort of validated us being able to, you know, sort of think we we're in the right position to apply again. Um, but, but definitely just, just what, what you guys offer, which is, you know, access to, to mentorship and resources. And obviously, like I said, the demo day, the fact that, I feel like we felt like we were in the right position in our startup journey as well for what the Kings 20 could offer us in the sense that we had an idea, but like when we applied, we hadn't properly launched either. So that was really great to sort of feel that we were at the right sort of point in our journey as well. How how have you found it? I think to be honest, we've we've had a really great time on the Kings 20 in the sense that we've, we've been able to sort of meet a lot of startups that we wouldn't have ordinarily been able to meet. This year has been an especially uh, difficult year for a lot of startups in the sense that there haven't been any conventional meetups. So you can't go out there and like find like-minded entrepreneurs very easily. It's all online. Obviously there are a lot of online communities to do that, but that's been a huge part of it is the social aspect, I think for us. And then just Chris is because Chris is the CEO and he's dealing with a lot of the, the vision and the day-to-day operations and sort of figuring out how to make the business better. So he's the one that goes to a lot of the workshops, but I know that he's found the workshops very valuable and the ones that I've dropped in on, for example, we dropped in on a, on a pitching workshop last week uh, because we're planning on pitching at a demo day. Uh, and that was super useful as well. So the workshops have been great. The team obviously as well, has been hugely supportive and just had a really good time. It's, it's been really nice to sort of feel like we're part of a community as well. People going through the same, things that we're going through and having people to talk to you about that too. Yeah, I think it's it's been a bizarre year by all people's estimates, I think. So it's been a slightly different, I guess, King's 20 experience for you than in previous years with not having any kind of in-person time. But I think it's shown us that community can still thrive online if you support it in the right way. And I think a lot of the companies in your cohort have said very similar thing. You know, they've still had felt, felt that sense of support from a peer-to-peer perspective with the other companies on the cohort. And it's been great to see how you guys have made that work. No, definitely, yeah. 
we often always end up talking to CEOs of companies. And I particularly was interested to talk to you from a CTO perspective, because I think we get a lot of questions from people that have an idea, but they don't have the tech skills to develop something themselves and are trying to find themselves a CTO or figuring out how do I get a developer to build this and quite honestly, like do that in a way that I'm not going to get, you know, ripped off (laughs) because I don't even know where to start with those conversations. So I was wondering from your perspective, what drew you to entrepreneurship? Because tech skills are a highly valued skill set. You could, I'm sure, get a job very easily in an, in an established company on a well-established salary, if we put it out in, in that kind of way. what You've clearly been somebody that's worked on side projects pretty much <laughs> from your university days by the sounds of it. What, what is it about entrepreneurship that meant you wanted to go in that direction? That's a good question. And it's, it's funny because when you look back at the path that you've taken, it's not always what you expected it to be like. And I, th- I think that's a great question about going to work for a tech company as well, because that's something that I haven't really considered too much, especially not in the beginning when I was working on startups straight out of uni, uh, because I mentioned I studied business. So I think part of the part of why I didn't immediately start looking at tech companies was because maybe there was a slight element of imposter syndrome there because I wasn't a computer science graduate. And I sort of know now that that's not really the be all and end all, especially not in the in the startup world, at least. But I think, to be honest, I've sort of always wanted to have my own thing or like work in a small team and work on something where I have a real impact. And I definitely think that there's, there would have been a, probably a time in my career where it might've been a smart idea to, to try it out and try working for a bigger company for a year. So I think if I could go back and do things differently, I mean, I probably wouldn't still wouldn't change what I've done, but there's maybe like a, a, a gap of a year, for example, where I could have gone to just go and see what it's like. Uh, because one of the things that I don't have, from doing a lot of small projects is I don't have an extensive network of fellow programmers that I can sort of ask to maybe come and work for me, which is what tends to happen apparently in Silicon Valley. You know, you get a lot of like ex Apple, ex Google engineers that start a company and then they can bring in half the team that they worked with before. But Chris and I did work for a, for a digital marketing agency for, for, for a little while. Uh, most recently, before we started Verdon, we were working like a satellite office in London together. So it's still really just the two of us in London. <laughs> but one of the things that's really important about doing a startup, I think if you're going to go for it, it's having some capital that you can keep yourself going with for the first six to, to 12 months. So, so me and Chris quite aggressively saved money so that we could work on the, the startup full time. And I think that's something that's quite wrongly like thrown around a lot in Silicon Valley. It's like, oh, why don't you just quit your job and like start the startup? Or like, why don't you just go on vacation and come up with a business idea? Well, a lot of people don't have that ability. And I think it's really important to sort of have a a solid base to then jump into a startup with rather than like working on it part-time. But to answer your question more directly again, uh, because I went on off on, on a bit of a tangent. I mean, it's just basically what, it's, it's what I've always wanted to do. I always wanted to have my own business. That was, that was the big one for me. And then I ended up really enjoying programming and falling in love with making tech stuff and then realized that I really wanted to have my own tech business. And I think part of me also would probably have a bit of an issue with working in a team under several layers of managers, to be honest, at this point, because I'm so used to sort of working on my own terms as well. 
Yeah, I'm finding that as a common thread with a lot of entrepreneurs that I talk to is that I have an innate issue with hierarchy or <laughs> or authority. <laughs> I wonder, so obviously you and Chris have worked together for quite a long time. Yes. How would you describe the dynamic between you as co- co-founders? That's a, that, that's a good question. So Chris and I have known each other, lived together on and off for about just shy of a decade. And we've worked together for most of that. So there was, when I was saying, you know, maybe I'd take a year and go and work for a big company. I actually did something in my opinion, which again, grass is greener, but I wouldn't change. I actually worked on a sports booking platform product. I was their only engineer for it for a little while called pitch booking. And that was really fun. Me and Chris have had some time apart, but we've, we've always (laughs) sort of come back and, and, and work together. We're like one of those film, like screenwriting duos, one of the, one of the <laughs> brothers that just doesn't really, don't really ever get separated. Um, but dynamic wise, I mean, when you know someone for 10 years and your friends and your best friends with them for 10 years, you kind of, you go through the highs and the initial highs and lows of learning to live with each other and get on with each other. Chris is, maybe you should have had Chris on the podcast because he's way more high energy than me. He's the one that sort of will drag me out of a burnout whole and he's always he's always the positive energy i would say between the two of us to be honest he's he's a really great great character and, and i need that and he knows that i need that as well so we're, we're very good at sort of giving each other's personalities and characters what they need and balancing that out living together is definitely a challenge sometimes which is what a lot of people say um so i know the privacy guys manuel and alex from the last cohort they also live together um, and they're a CEO and CTO pair. So it's quite funny to talk to them about that kind of thing sometimes, but it, it can work, but you just have to be extremely comfortable with the other person, uh, which we are thankfully. So it's just one of those things where because we're so similar and we're working on the same startup together, we get to use way more time than other people might, might be able to, if they're working on a startup together to talk about it, to work on it. We're sort of living and breathing it all the time, but it doesn't come without negatives, you know? like I've said, being around each other all the time. Yeah, you have to know how to separate those things out, I guess, and be totally work stops for the day now. Um, I think a lot of people have struggled with that over the last year as well. Living and working from home has been far more of a common common thing. Yeah, I I think just on the working from home point, I think something that me and Chris have managed to do quite well is we've always worked from home. Well, not always, but that's how we started off working together. So we've been through that. And I sort of feel for a lot of people that have gone through the past year because they haven't experienced what it's like to sort of, you get that initial rush of realizing that you can just sort of chill out and wear your pajamas and work like (laughs) in the middle of the week. And it's great. But then the reality sort of kicks in and you realize that that's one of the things that we missed out on a little bit, Chris and I, is the social environment of a workplace which thankfully going into co-working spaces later on, once we were in businesses that had a bit more going for them and we could get an office space somewhere was really beneficial. So I'm looking forward to that coming back as well. So we can get out of the house together and sort of have a different environment to, to go into, but sorry, you were, you were going to say. I think that was really interesting that you've kind of come at it from the other way around that your, your normal was working from home and then you can get to go in and the office is like a novelty. It's kind of the, the other way around for everybody else has been this year. So it's quite interesting. I was just going to ask, so obviously you're basically a year into Verdon now and you've been able to make great progress. What does the future hold? What would you like Verdon to become? I think for us, that's a good question. It's something that we need to spend more time on thinking about just generally because it's easy to get sort of lost in what you're currently doing. But for us, it's definitely 
basically become a sort of a standard service you know not not a household name in the sense that we're like a huge company that everyone knows the name of necessarily but like how you know I was saying earlier where what inspired me about writing an API for developers to work on with Stripe and how great their documentation was. And if you want to add payment to a website, it's you use Stripe. And I think that's where we want to be. It's like, if you want to add, if you want to give back to a social or environmental cause with a product and you want to do it really easily, you'll just, you'll just install Verdun or you'll integrate with Verdun. And that's how you'll, that's how you do it. That's how you work with impact essentially in a business. Do you have goals on the sustainability side of things of like, target you want to hit of like number of trees planted or like a, a, a climate goal if you like that's from from that side have you thought about it from that direction yeah that, that's a really good question uh it's probably more of a question for chris again <laughs> Sorry, I'm <putting laughs> that's like no 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 you're not putting me on the spot but i mean i think we've already collected i think it's about 50 tons of ocean plastic combined with not we but the merchants that we sort of provide the service for they've sort of contributed to to collecting 50 tons of, of ocean plastic trees is is a similar amount of of impact but i i don't actually know what the figure is off the top of my head but we yeah, actually I mean, did that as a uh, our team secret santa game i got 100 trees planted to me for me I know, by yeah. verdon i was yeah. very excited and that was i have to be honest rachel because it was a it wasn't on shopify that was a that was a pen and paper well not pen and paper but <laughs> No, not in a bad way. It's just like we, we had to hack it together for you. But I mean, you got a dashboard. I mean, have you seen the dashboard? Did you yeah. manage to have a look at it? Yeah. Yeah, it's very okay, cool. Good. As long as it works. That's, yeah. all that, that's all that matters. <laughs> it's a different angle, isn't it? I think people, there's a there's a gear change happening. And I think you're at the well positioned to ride the wave of sustainability being seen as a burden. Unlike if you want to do this, you're going to have to jump through so many extra hoops or whatever to being something that is a expected from a from a consumer perspective and a minimum bar set that if you want our business you need to be making sure that you are prioritizing sustainability within your model i think you being a facilitator of that for companies who haven't figured it out yet is a great thing i think it's the amount of impact that you could potentially have is phenomenal yeah and that's what consumers are asking for now so i think we see it as a win-win because the end customers of these stores are going to get a product that that gives back in the way that they want it to and the way they expect it to, especially increasingly in the future, like you say. But then also, I mean, the whole reason why we're doing this is because companies can use Verdon to elevate their brand as well and essentially make more make more money. Because if you're doing a going going back to the sunglasses, if you're selling a pair of sunglasses that picks up 80 kilos of ocean plastic, I mean, surely you can sell them for a bit more. So that's we're also trying to give. The, the merchants an opportunity, not just so they're fulfilling, like you say, a burden of needing to sort of be sustainable, but also like allow it for allow it to be an opportunity for them as well. I wonder, obviously, we've got lots of companies that are starting to fill out their King's 20 applications over the next couple of weeks to hopefully be in your shoes this time next year. What would you say as your kind of words of wisdom, bits of advice for companies going into that process? I mean, much smarter people and much better speaker people than, than me have, have said all these things before about like how, you know, you need to stay lean, you need to listen to your, listen to your customers. But like, if you're going from an idea phase, definitely validating the idea is, is a huge signal for potential, uh, maybe not investors at that stage when it's just an idea phase, but like for accelerators like Kings 20, being able to prove that you've gone out there and you've made the effort to like figure out that people are willing to, to use your service or even better pay for it 
Chris is the salesperson in Verdon. Uh, so I haven't had to sort of be put in this in the kind of, I guess what, what you'd normally think of as like almost awkward or embarrassing situations as Chris has <laughs> in the sense that, you know, you're sort of putting your throwing away, like how you'd normally compose yourself and trying to sell your product to somebody. Um, but just don't be afraid of going out there, whatever, whatever you're trying to sell, whether it's a physical product or a digital product, you're going to need to like email people and you're going to need to sort of like continually email them until they give you a response and say, no, I'm not interested or yeah, you know, tell me more. And, and you just basically, you have to be able to do that in order to validate your idea. And it's a lot less daunting than it seems when you start doing it like anything else, you know, once you start doing it a few times, it becomes a lot easier to sort of go out there and, and evangelize your own product to other people. Like anything, the first time you do something, it's going to be the scariest time. As soon as you're doing it for the second time, it's nowhere near as scary. No, definitely. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and we're, you know, we're here to help at the Entrepreneurship Institute with those things. If you get stuck, let us know. Um, no, definitely. And, and on that as well, the mentors have been really, really valuable to us in Kings 20 because you've got experts, or I should call them experts because they're called experts in residence. <laughs> they are, they're, 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 the, the skill sets that they share between them basically cover the entire breadth of what you'd need to sort of figure out if you're running a startup so you've got everyone that you could possibly need yeah I think it's one of the things um I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that we get a lot of companies coming into King's 20 saying oh I want to apply because I want office space sometimes when when that's allowed or I want access to the investors but they always leave the program saying access to mentorship community have been the top things that we've been able to get out of this that will far outlive the time spent on the program. We always kind of say to people, don't underestimate the amount of value that you get out of those less tangible parts of the program, I guess. No, definitely, yeah. And to be honest, it would be nice to go into the office just for like a week at the end, <laughs> if things open up, just to see what it's like. A last hurrah. Yeah. Um, well, if people are interested in Verdon yeah. and want to check you out, either as a merchant or a customer, what is the best way for them to look you up? It's funny, actually, because so when you type Verdun, V-E-R-D-N into Google, it gives you the Battle of Verdun, which is and it says, are you, you know, are you sure you mean Verdun? So we're currently up against that at the minute and we're dealing with people organically searching for us. Um, but if you want to find out about us, especially if you've got a store, you just type Verdun Shopify app into Google. You can look at our Shopify app or Verdun.com, V-E-R-D-N.com. And we've got a little landing page that does need improving, but you can read about it more there. One of the things that I wish that I'd had access to is someone to to talk to about doing tech stuff in a startup because it's it's always difficult to figure out who you might need to talk to. So if anybody needs to email me, it's just Rory at burden.com. You can send me an email if you're doing tech stuff, if you need some advice on, you know, especially if you're applying to Kings 20 to figure out, you know, how you go about doing a certain thing a certain way. Amazing. You're going to get inundated now. You're, well, you're we'll see. <laughs> That's a very generous offer, though, so I appreciate that. Thank you for joining us today. It's been awesome chatting to you. Thank you for your time. I know you are busy in startup life. So No, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, Rachel. It's been great to talk to you. All right. Thanks very much. We'll see yeah. you soon. Thank you. To find out more about the Entrepreneurship Institute, visit www.kcl.ac.uk forward slash entrepreneurship.